Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Dana Osman, here with my friend Chavruta and Gordon. Our daf today, Masachah Bavakama Daf Yadalad, page 14. But we're going to have a new Mishnah, rather cryptic Mishnah, which Anne is going to tackle. I'm just going to do a bit of the Gemara before the Mishnah. Um, and we had quoted within the discussion about uh, damages and damages where they take place, whether they're in the damager's field or the uh, damaged field and, and how that impacts liability, uh, we quoted a brisa in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, which said the following, Gufa, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar Omer ben Ezekin. So Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar had four general principles when it came to damages. In any place that is, you know, uh, is, uh, you know, the reshut, uh, the the premise or the property of uh, the damaged party, but not for the damager, chayav bakol. The damager is liable in full. In other words, if you're on someone's property and something of yours, inju- you know, causes damage to that person's property, you're going to be liable in full. The Gemara is very intrigued by the wording of this brisa and says, al hakol loktani. The brisa doesn't say that the damager is... Uh, Chayav for all, right? It doesn't say al hakol, and what that means would mean all types of uh, damage, meaning Shane Regal or Karen of a chayav bakol, right? It's liable in full, bekule nezek, which means that he has to pay full damages, and this means even if his ox is what we call a, a sure tam, uh, a sure tam that the Karen uh, that did Karen damage. And so what this is trying to say is, is that the Brisa has to be teaching uh, that, you know, so in other words, we don't need to teach that you pay full damages for Shane and Regal because we know that some somebody always has to pay for that. But the question becomes a sure time, right? This is a sure that doesn't have a history of goring and then it gores, it uses its Karen. It's still a saying that you would have to pay Full damages. Now we haven't fully discussed the difference between short time and short muad. We will discuss this a little bit more. Um, but the point here is, is that it's it pays attention to this kind of language that even the Karen of a short time, you will have to pay full damages. Money, whose opinion is this? Rabbi Tarfon. He it's the opinion of Rabbi Tarfon. To Amar Karen Hanizak, who says that sort of abnormal Karen, meaning a tam right, that we didn't expect to gore, but gores, um, that kind of damage that takes place in the art of a damaged party, Nezek Shalem Mishulam, one pays full damages. And that sort of, uh, you know, that sort of makes sense because in other words, the first three time, what what the short time is, is that the first three times that an ox gores, that an ox does damage through Karen, that is considered to be Mishunet Karen because we just say that this is not, an ox that we expect to do damage this way. Once it does it three times, then it's no longer considered to be abnormal. Now, the Gemara is going to say, though, that the end of the Brisa, though, the fourth cloud that it quotes this Brisa seems to contradict the first cloud. Ama Seifa, but look at the end of this Brisa. Lola Zeva Lola Let's say the damage took place that's not a new reshoot for the damager or for the damage. Kugon chatzer she'enu shel like a yard that doesn't belong to either one of them. Chayav ba'al hashem ba'al regel. The damager is chayav for shein and regel. Mi, my lo la zeh Now, what's the brisa mean when it says 
not of this one and that one. If you want to say that it's in a place that's not, doesn't belong to the damager or to the damage, but rather belongs to another, to a third party, this can't be. So the Gemara basically points out that if you want to say that the rule is that if it's in a third party's field, right, it's not in that one's field, the damager's field or the damaged party's field, right, the Pasuk says that it, uh, you know, that it had in order for there to be some type of liability, right, it has to say it consumes in the field of another, meaning the damage has to be in the damaged damaged person's field, Valeka. And in this case, uh, it's not the case. It's not in the damaged person's field. So the Gemara goes on to say, right? So it's obvious when the Brisa talks about not being in the damager's, you know, uh, space or in the damaged space, right? It, it, it's obvious that, that this, you know, that case is sort of obvious. Vikitani Seifa, yet we have this ruling of the Brisa that says that if the Karen, da- Karen damage is done in this place, the owner of a Tam pays half damages, while the owner of a Muad pays full damages. And so we see this seems to be the view of the rabbis. In other words, what they're basically trying to point out here is the beginning of the Brisa, we're going to say is like Rabbi Tarfon. But the end of the brisa, which makes this distinction between a, a shore tam and a shore muad, has to be the opinion of the rabbis because Rabbi Tarpon does not seem to make this distinction at all. The rabbis basically say that any type of mishuna karen, right, any type of abnormal karen in the yard of the damaged property, you only pay half damages. Resha Rabbi Tarfon v'seifa Rabbanan. So this would seem to be that the first part of the brisa is goes according to Rabbi Tarfon, and the second half of the brisa goes according to the rabbis. So the Gemara says, "In yet we can say that actually the brisa was made that way, and that's kind of interesting because normally we'll go back and try to say, okay, can we really make the brisa fit really one person's opinion? And here they're going to say, no, maybe it's possible that's how this brisa was written." Taha Amar Shmuel of Rabbi Yehuda for Shmuel said. To Rabbi Yehuda, talking about another mitzvah, Shinana, sharp one, Shvuk matnina vita abrite, leave the mission alone and follow after me. Um, in other words, what the point here is, is that Shmuel, um, first of all, Shmuel used to call Rabbi Yehuda a, a, like a sharp one. We see this in other places. But the idea here is, is that he's saying, uh, you know, you, you're not going to be able to um, and, and this is going to come up, uh, you know, later on, actually. But he's going to say is that basically you're not going to be able to explain this mission as being consistently after one person. And you're going to have to basically say that the first half is according to one person. The first half is according to, uh, you know, that you're basically going to have to say that the, the Mishnah is actually according to two different people. Reisha Rabbi Tarfon v'sefer Rabbanan. Right, that the beginning is Rabbi Tarfon and the end in is Rabbanan. And this is actually a Mishnah that we're going to see on uh, in tomorrow's daf, in Tet Vav Amud Bet. Um, and that's basically sort of the answer. So it's interesting to see the Gemara basically say that we do allow this, we do see that some Mishnahs and some Breitot 
are constructed this way, that it's not one uniform opinion, but actually can be two different opinions. Now, the Gemara is going to give a different way of solving the problem that it found with this Brisa. Ravina Mashma de Rava Amar. Ravina said in the name of Rava, Kula Ravi Tarfon. No, the whole Brisa is actually Ravi Tarfon. Umai lo lazev lo lazev. Right? And what does the Brisa mean when it talks about this last rule of not for this one and not for that one? Right? Which we explained before means that it's not a place for either one of them. Okay? It refers to a place that's not designated for this one or that one to use for produce, okay? Lola Um, But just for one of them. In other words, one of them is allowed to use that area for produce, but not both of them. Um, and it, but it's designated for both this one and that one for their, uh, sorry, but it is designated for both of them for their oxen. So in other words, you have this type of property where the damaged party is allowed to use it for produce, the damager can, but both of them are allowed to use it for their ox. Um, and this goes according to our return Because with Shane, right, it just needs to be the yard of the damaged party since only he can use it for produce. Whereas when it comes to Karen, then it's considered to be a public domain because both of them can bring their ox there. So here, part of what we're talking about is, is that Karen, Regel, right? Sorry, um, uh, sorry, Shane, right? Is something that would destroy produce, right? In other words, the ox comes and it eats the produce. Whereas when we're talking about goring, right? Which is Karen. So that, you know, so in that case, since we're worried about the produce being destroyed and the damaged party has produce rights to that property and the damager didn't, okay, so then that makes sense. In other words, the da- you know, if it's Shane, then that becomes, you know, the damaged party gets full, you know, would get full damages because they had full rights to that property. But if we're talking about that both of them have shore rights, both of them have ox rights, to the property, then it's basically like a reshut harabim um, when it comes to Karen. And since both of them are there, both of them can be there, even Rabbi Tarfum would agree in that case that you would only pay half and you wouldn't pay pay, uh, pay full. The Gemara is going to challenge this explanation, ihachi, right? If this is so, right, that this final case speaks of where the damage party could bring produce into the yard and both could bring the damage and the damager could bring ox into the yard, Arba'a, then are there four real general rules, shlo'shahabe, right? Really, there are only three, since that final rule is not, you can learn that out, actually, from the three previous rules. You don't actually need uh, this fourth rule. So the Gemara answers, Amr Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak says, shlo'shaklalod ba'arba mekamod. The Brisa teaches three rules, which can be applied in four different cases. So that actually the Gemara says, yes, there's really only three laws, right? There's only really three klalot, um, and they apply in, 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 in different cases, right? So in other words, the first rule is, you know, damage done when a damaged parties, right? Like when a damager does damage on a damaged, you know, parties, uh, property, the damager is always, you know, high of and full. He has to pay full damages. If the damage is done on the damager's, you know, property, uh, then the, the damager doesn't have to pay anything. 
damage that's done in a jointly owned yard, the damager is liable for Karen damage, but is exempt from Shane and Regal damage. But the Brisa talks about four rules because there's really two types of yards that could be jointly um, owned, right? One, uh, you know, that said before, uh, one that we talked about before, which is like it's jointly owned. And there are some, because of the way that it's actually structured, how they jointly own it, that there's only uh, there's only liability for Shane and Regal. Um, and that would be an example where the yard, where they can bring their ox, but only one can bring their produce. So it's, in other words, rule three is about jointly owned, owned yards, but the the Brisa presents two different types of cases. So I, I think what's interesting about this passage from the sort of meta construction way is that we're seeing like, you know, sort of different ways that Mishnah, that Brightot and even a Mishnah could be constructed, right? The idea that you could have a Brightot or a Mishnah that contains two different opinions, right? This one being one Rabbi Tarpon at the beginning and one of Rabbi Nan at the end. And second, here at the end, this idea that, yes, it, the Bryce is constructed as saying, oh, there's four Klalot, but when it comes down to it, no, they're going to say, eh, it's not really four, it's three, but we're just going to give you four examples. And, and example three and four are really related to each other. Now, I don't think that's really a Peshat reading of the Brita, but I think the Gemara sort of needs to go there because it's the only way that they can sort of solve what this Brisa actually means. Interesting take as to why they have to delve in in this way. Um, I just wanted to muad, right, the goring ox that has to gore three times to be considered a sure muad, meaning an ox that you can be confident that it's given the chance it will gore. Um, the There's an important caveat that kind of turns the whole thing on its head, I find, um, not the ox itself so much, namely... A, an ox that has gored a person, certainly if he's killed a person, but I think even damage, it depends, I guess it depends on really what's happened. Um, that ox is going to get put to death, meaning the odds of the ox goring again before it's put to death, it could happen, right? It could get loose, especially we're talking here about an ox who, that is, you know, acting in an unusual way. And, you know, you want to talk about a marauding ox or a mad ox. So then theoretically, the ox really could become a sure muad before it's dealt with, before it's, you know, put to death as punishment or as a consequence of the damage that it did to a person Right. Again, it's going to depend. You don't necessarily put it to death depending for property. But the point is that for an ox to be a shore muad takes more effort than just like, oh, and today he went and gored and then the next day he went and gored because presumably he's going to be, you know, restrained and locked up and so on because of the damage that he has caused. And all the more so if it's um, damage to, let's say it's damage to livestock, right? It doesn't have to be actually killing a person, God forbid. Okay, um, now I'm going to pick up the mission at the top of Ahmed Bet. Um, the first line here is actually, I don't know, I feel like it's one of these lines that people kind of throw around. Shum kesef, shave kesef. Meaning that when you have to determine how much one person owes another person, and in this case it's to assess the damages so that the person who owned the damaging um animal, let's say, or item, can pay restitution. So it says shum kesef, um, meaning evaluate the money, shum, shumaz, to do an evaluation, as opposed to, I always think it means like, 
well, shum could also mean garlic, but it doesn't. Meaning, people say like any, it means any or none, right? That kind of use of a word, but not in this case. In this case, it really means to do this, you know, monetary monetary appraisal. The appraisal is the shum word. And then, shave kesef, meaning, or shave kesef, really, that you can pay based with anything that is of the monetary value. And we had talked about this before in the context of, can you pay from brand? Does it have to be the best of your your land and so on? So here we're talking about, you know, when there's damages, you have a monetary appraisal, experts will come and assess, assess the damage and how much is owed. And then the person who has to pay will pay with items that are worth money, meaning they have to be worth the amount of money that the damage was. And the Mishnah's position is that this halacha is going to, like, it means you should pay before the court, and you base the whole everything based on the testimony of witnesses, witnesses who are already free, meaning not on Kanani slaves, Avadim Kanani, right? B'nai Brit, meaning people who are Jewish and free men. Vanashim Bechlal HaNezek. And women, here's a good one, are included in the halachot of nezek the same way that men are. Meaning, everything that we're going to talk about is still going to be in the language of, uh, in the masculine language, right? If he did thus and such, right? The pronouns are male, the verbs are male, it's Hebrew, it's a gendered language. Mishnah makes it clear to us that women are involved are just as liable or just as receiving of, let's say, monetary compensation as a man in the case of damages. And then the both the injured party and the one who is liable for that injury, both of them get involved in the payment. And then, of course, the we understand that the Gemara is going to flesh this out. I'm not going to spend as much time as the Gemara does, but just briefly, um, from the top it says, the Gemara says, my shum kesef. What does it mean, shum kesef? What does it mean that we're going to do this assessment, uh, an appraisal for the for how much money it, the thing is worth, or how much how much I guess it's how much it's worth now, and then you have to subtract that from how much it used to be worth. For example, Amar Rav Yehuda shum zelo yehei ella bekesef. So Rav Yehuda says you don't assess this right shum ze. You don't do any appraisal of the damage until you're ready to assess it for monetary value. You don't say like, this is how, I don't know, um, three, um, I don't know, canes on a chair, let's say, are broken. And you first have to be ready to figure out what does that cost? The issue here is the monetary payback. It's not like a, oh, well, my, my sheep is lame now, or my horse is lame now because your ox gored my horse. It's not descriptive. It's really, they boil it down to the money. And I'm sure there are some disadvantages to that, but it also, I think, keeps these kinds of transactions a little bit, um, a little bit more straightforward. So the Gemara says, we learn in this Mishnah, we learn this halacha, and we learn this from the, the, the sages taught. What did they teach? So let's say you have a cow that has damaged a talit. A talit, so that could be a talus, like a ritual object um, garment, or it could be translated to be a cloak. But either way, you can imagine that the cow is getting tangled up in this talit. 
Okay, and likewise, and because of that, right, so the cow can damage the cloak, and the cloak can damage the cow, or it's a talus, right? But either way, whatever it is, this, this piece of fabric is damaging, is being damaged and also causing damage. Um, so the Gemara makes it clear that we don't say, you know, well, just figure out the difference, right? We don't say, don't figure out how much... Um, the cow damage, whatever the cow has done damage to this talit, right? You don't say, well, but the cow is damaged, so let's reduce that amount, right? Rather, we evaluate both the damage to the cow and the damage to the talit in their own right. And we don't, um, we don't try to cut the corners. You know, I, I'm thinking of the example, you know, you lend somebody $20 and then, they, you know, I don't know, let's say they cause damage and they're going to pay for your dry cleaning, whatever it is. And so you say, well, take $20 off the top since I owe you the $20 to begin with. I might have missed, you know, messed up my own story there. But you understand the point of like, we can, money is fungible and we can trim the way we have these transactions. And the Gemara makes it clear that in this kind of damage where both parties have property that is damaged, you need to do the evaluations separately. And you don't say, oh, we'll, we'll finagle, we'll organize it to accommodate, you know, an assessment that does them at the same time. The Gemara goes on to say, right? When we're talking about items that are worth money, what is that talking about? So the Gemara says, the Tana Rabbanan, the Gemara says, well, we all, we've learned this, right? That the court is paying attention to collecting damages, specifically when we're talking about a case where property is a guarantor or a guarantee against the damage. That's the land property, right? But if the person who had been damaged, whose property was damaged, you know, before there was a court case, came running forward and took, you know, seized the move the movable property of the person whose property had damaged his property, so then we say Beitin Govin Lo Mehen. Then the court would collect the damages for him from those movable objects that he had taken possession of. Meaning, let's say, I don't know, he's owed $100 and he runs and steals the lawnmower because it's out in the yard, right? And that lawnmower is, in theory, I'm sure in practice as well, worth more than $100. Are you going to say, well, we'll offset it or not? And the answer is, according to this Gemara, right, which the halacha surely develops it further, but the point here is that the court will collect whatever he owes, let's say, from that theoretical lawnmower if the lawnmower is worth more than the damage that was done to his stuff, then presumably he would have to pay to make up the difference. Um, but that's speculation on my part. Um, and the Gemara is going to go on and discuss exactly, you know, how we're going to delve into these kinds of money cases again when we need a guarantor, right? Somebody who's going to protect or, you know, vouchsafe the fact that there is going sometimes to be a loan or that somebody owes the money for damages and so on. Um, and then towards the end of the daf, they get involved in the, what does it mean to, to have this take place, this evaluation and this transfer of uh, property, money, um, in front of a court. Again, we're not going to talk about it today except to mention it, and the odds are very high that we will talk about it tomorrow because it really takes place on tomorrow's daf. 
That's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcasts. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this DAF. Thank you to Rebbe Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hodman website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.